0: to Filmstrip. These podcasts are spoiler-filled
1: as we discuss the plots, characters, and themes of the films in review. All content used or discussed in these podcast episodes is the property of the respective owners and used under the Fair Use Act, Section 504, C2,
0: Title 17.
2: Welcome to Filmstrip. I'm Jay.
0: And I'm Ron. You know, Jay, it has been... It's definitely been a year, but here we are. It's the beautiful holiday season. It's definitely not going to be 93 degrees tomorrow as we're recording this. I've got a delicious cup of my favorite holiday libation, which is one half peppermint tea and one half spice cider. And, you know, it's time for us to just kind of kick back and enjoy a good classic holiday movie.
2: I agree. It's, it's, it's been a rough year, but it's time to get to the fun part. Hey, hang on. Do you do you hear a weird sound in the recording? Yeah. What? That? Yeah. Are you feeding back? What's going on?
0: I don't know, but I, I, I can almost hear the sound of two guys arguing about Christmas and Hollis over the sound of those sleigh bells. Let, let me go see what's
2: going on. I'll I'll go open the door here. I can hear it too. Well, what do you know? It's Tom and Anthony, two of the three L's from Tis the Podcast. Gang, thanks for joining in again. It wouldn't be our annual review of some wacky holiday trash without you guys. So, Tom, Anthony, welcome to Film Strip. Please take a moment, tell folks about yourselves and your show.
1: Well, we're excited to be here with two of the members of the Film Strip podcast. Uh, although I do have to admit, when I was listening to your episode this week, I was a little bit bummed. I feel like, you know, we we, we missed a really uh, awesome movie for this film.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
1: By the way, I love I, if If your listeners haven't checked it out, they should definitely listen to the Beetlejuice episode. That was a lot of fun.
2: That was a fun time for sure. So this is the podcast, great concept. Christmas movies reviewed year round. And you guys have broadened out that definition this year. I mean, you get some biggies. We got a little lethal weapon this year, among other things.
1: We do. We we don't we don't shy away from the controversy at all. Uh, we lean into it, right, Anthony?
3: Oh, we do lean into it. Though according to Ron here lethal weapon is a christmas movie he made a very valid point about that on reddit and actually convinced the best to podcast host to change her mind and state it was a christmas movie <laughs>
2: julia who is here in spirit but not in body and so she gets to miss all the fun of what we're talking about tonight (laughs) which is probably why you heard
3: us arguing about christmas (laughs) and hollis because she's not here
1: (laughs) she She is definitely the peacekeeper y'all (laughs)
2: <laughs> Speaking of awesome music in a movie, we're talking about New Year's <laughs> Evil, starring Ross Kelly, Kip Niven, Chris Wallace, and Grant Kramer, directed by Emmett Alston, released in 1980. The movie has gone on to achieve cult status through the years. Ron, you and I have been big friends uh, for years and have, have talked about this movie since we you first started talking to each other. And if the notation that this was produced by Canon Films doesn't tell you what you're in for, allow me to drop this little bit of interesting info. This movie holds a rare distinction of having the same audience and critic score on Rotten Tomatoes, 14%. You got to work to do that, y'all.
3: <laughs> it is. It is not easy to get an audience to agree with critics. So it's something special. It's like this an adventure. I, like... <laughs> so... <laughs> I, I
1: like that. It's special. Yes, it's it's definitely special.
2: <laughs> the wrong...
1: I hadn't heard about this at all before before talking to y'all, and it was eye opening.
2: <laughs> Anthony, had you ever seen it before?
3: No, I hadn't seen it before, but I had heard of it. It was on the list of, <laughs> when we were uh, talking Christmas horror movies in the past, I read off a bunch of ho- other holiday-themed horror films, and this made a cameo appearance via that list. But I had never seen it before, so watching this was eye-opening.
2: <laughs> yeah, I, Definitely I eye-opening. I can thank my friend Stuart, formerly of LA, of Now Playing Podcast for introducing this to me many years ago back when I was editing for them and I knew they were going to come up and do it. So I I had seen bits and pieces of it coming up, but I never like sat and watched the whole thing until several years ago. And now it's like it's in a constant rotation. I mean, I do watch it every (laughs) holiday season. Sometimes I'll just watch it in the middle of June because why not? I mean, so now, Ron, I know you're like the super fan of this movie, so please do weigh in.
0: Oh yeah, uh, I'm a huge fan of this. Um, I watched it randomly when I first, probably when I first got when I first got Netflix. I think it was on there when I first got Amazon Prime, and I I watch it literally every New Year's Eve, uh, usually after everyone else goes to bed because my wife's not a huge fan. Um, But yeah, I I, (laughs) 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 this this is one of the one of the Holiday traditions that I have stuck to f- for my life as an adult, and as long as it's and the day it ever goes off Amazon Prime is the day I'm actually going to buy it. So, because uh, this is a must-watch for me every New Year's Eve and usually every New Year's Day.
2: I'm the only person that that's bought it. Then I guess because <laughs> 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 it just I lives mean, on my Kindle. So. <laughs> yeah. Y'all are going to
3: love me, because I plan on purchasing it, because I loved this thing. This thing was awesome. <laughs> I mean, it, also, it also helps that, I mean, uh, Carol Tuscadero was the main character in this film. <laughs> yes,
2: yes. She was on her A-game. Indeed. Indeed. That's a hard 37 she had lived by the time she did this movie. <laughs> I mean, Are you serious? Right. Yeah, she was 37 when she made this, so... So, yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> interesting times, interesting times. Well, I mean, you know, New Year's Evil. I think a lot of people listening to this have probably seen it, but I imagine there's a good group of people that have it. So, Ron, please, let's end 2020 with a bang. One of your classic plot summaries for New Year's Evil.
0: All right, let's see if we can kill Jay this time. <laughs> <laughs> Diane Blaze Sullivan is the middle-aged host of L.A.'s hottest new wave and punk rock dance show, Hollywood Hotline and she's going to ring the new year into being in style with a coast to coast celebration of all things 1980. It's a pretty big deal for a Hollywood hotline to be simulcast on both television and radio, so Blaze is a little bit distracted. In fact, she's so busy getting ready that she barely acknowledges her own son, who got a role on a hit show despite being kind of a creep. In between the ball drops every hour, she'll be playing music and televising slam dancing live from a fancy Hollywood hotel because the fancy Hollywood hotels are definitely the kind of place you can crowd the ballroom with punk rockers. Blaze takes a few calls from the insipid audience at home, and somehow a man going by the name of Evil gets through. (laughs) Via creepy voice modulator, Evil lets Blaze know that when the clock strikes midnight, someone's going to die, with Blaze herself being the last person to feel Evil's wrath. Blaze blows this off, thinking it's just a crazy person, until he calls calls back after the Times Square ball drop, playing a tape of his first kill. Evil got into an insane asylum and seduced and murdered a nurse. He tells Blaze where the cops need to look for this victim, then he's off to his next kill. For Chicago, Evil picks up a couple of chicks from the disco, and because disco sucks, he drives them to a liquor store and kills them both, one after the other. Another call for Blaze, another pair of bodies, and now the police are taking Evil seriously. While cruising around L.A. looking for a victim to kill on Mountain Time, Evil runs afoul of some random bikers and is forced to flee from them, hiding out in a drive-in movie where the only things showing are trailers, specifically for the movie Blood Feast, the movie Bloodbath, and the lesser-known giallo called uh, the The Red Queen Kills Seven Times, which no one's seen it but me. Evil interrupts a necking couple to steal their car after stabbing a biker in the stomach. Then he flees the gang with the gratuitous boob girl from the drive-in makeout scene. Evil tries to improvise, only for a couple of drunks to get in the way and for his prey to escape, hiding under a scorer's box at a baseball field while cops interfere with all the fun. No mountain-time murder, unless the biker counts, but he does it because he's not a woman. Police get more serious about Evil, locking down the hotel. So Evil has to rope a dope and kill a cop to steal his uniform, then sneak into the New Year's Eve special. He skulks around a little bit. Then after a confrontation with Blaze, it's revealed that Evil is actually her Bruce Jenner-looking husband, Richard. (laughs) Old Dick is feeling pretty neglected by Blaze and all women, so he takes Evil's impotent frustration out on Blaze. Security intervenes, and Richard races to the rooftop where he puts on his mask and leaps off of the top of the hotel Turning into a dummy after vaulting over the side, but turning back to Richard when he's on the ground. A shaken, a shaken Blaze is loaded into an ambulance and sent off to the hospital. But, shock of shocks, the paramedic driving the ambulance is dead, and the person in the driver's seat behind the, the evil evil's mask is none other than Blaze's son, Derek. The <laughs> killer <theme> song <laughs> New Year's Evil by Shadow plays, and Derek tears off into the night. As credits roll.
2: Oh, bravo, sir! Bravo! That That was incredible. (laughs) Thank you all. Take a
0: bow. Take a bow.
2: Do you Do you want
3: a second gig writing the plot synopsis for every two podcast film?
0: (laughs) It it would It would actually be the only thing that keeps me up to date with you guys. So (laughs) I might have to take you up on that.
2: (laughs) Oh, y'all! It is uh, that is an amazing summary for what i can only describe as 85 minutes of just insanity on the screen and again it's a golden globus movie so like you gotta know like that's chuck norris american ninja world uh-huh. like that's a but that you know i've always been blown away by why didn't canon do more horror movies and it's because this movie completely and totally bombed. <laughs> <fall. laughs> they were like nope forget that we can't even do a cheap horror movie right like they, there's no box office info anywhere on this they made it for about a million bucks or so but i mean they they shot around la like complete bowfinger style they had no permits they jumped on the back of the truck with the kids in the car and they just rode around to places nobody paid attention to you know so it's i mean they got a they got a holiday inn or a ramada like where my prom was and that's where they shot the, the stand dancing and all this other stuff Uh, It's a completely amazing uh, movie, but we got to talk about the opening and the way it, it happens with that opening song and that drive down Sunset Strip, which doesn't look anything like that anymore. But boy, you talk about just a time capsule of something. I'm watching that and I'm watching every early like Motley Crue video and everything else that came out in the mid to late 80s. That that tore all that apart basically before it, you became what it is today, and that song just uh, there's something about that shadow song that just grabs me. That opening guitar riff, that perfect mesh between like being the knack and the clash, and just all happening in one moment. And I I love that opening song and that opening scene.
3: It's a great you know, song, and the song puts you immediately into the mood for what you're getting with this film.
1: Well, and the and the the outfit those kids are wearing as they're driving in the car that I, so that's the first thing I was shocked that this movie was made in 1980 because that is such the, the outfits, the the costuming is like every awful movie that wants to show alt kit, alt like uh, alt lifestyle kids from the eighties. Right. There was an episode. Okay. This is really embarrassing to admit. My daughter loves fuller house. She's four. So I think it's, you know, age appropriate there. Um, and it was on... a
3: little too old for a uh, young for her
1: still <laughs> probably she's not yeah but uh they were showing the, the the y'all are all familiar with full house right oh yes yes uncle jesse uncle joey by what used to be a uh a bar music venue scene that's now a laundromat and they all go to it to see it and it's a long lawn... like i said it's a laundromat and they're all dressed in what they think the 80s look like and i swear i saw three of these outfits straight up on there no joke
2: <laughs> i can believe it I, I can totally believe it this song has been
0: stuck in my head for several months now and that's one of the reasons why we pushed to do this or why i decided to push for this as like our holiday special because i have literally listened to this song on spotify like 75 times in three months not even kidding <laughs>
2: What what does Spotify (laughs) recommend behind this? Is what I want to know. Oh, man. It searches its memory banks like, I don't know. So, so, yeah.
0: I don't know. Maybe the New York Dolls, but if they played their instruments better.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's a good way to say it. Like, Shadow's actually really talented. I mean, it is like the New York Dolls, but, you know, with talent. So, which is kind of amazing, which is what's what's funny is that they're the most talented thing in the movie. <laughs> the, outside of all of the actors. And we got We got a lot to talk about that. I guess we start with Blaze, Ross Kelly, Pinky D- Duscadero to most of us who watched uh, Happy Days growing up. Right. Sure. But uh, like we said, a hard thirty seven uh, Blaze is at this point. <laughs> <laughs> she did not look like she have an easy life. She
1: she's lived through. She's seen some stuff, y'all. She sees some stuff.
2: I mean, clearly. I mean, she's she's married to not Bruce Jenner and his fila suit. She's got not Mark Hamill as her son. I mean, that's that's what that's basically what is happening in this movie. And she is a cross between like Nina Blackwood from MTV, of course. At this point, would have been a big LA radio DJ. And she's also supposed to be like Elvira or something, and maybe Dick Clark all, all wrapped in one.
0: Yeah, she's definitely got giving me some Elvira vibes. Uh, specifically in the way she interacts with the creepy callers, because it makes me think of how on the old Elvira show, she would always get a phone call from the breather, which yeah. actually the breather was John B. the genie from uh, Pee-wee's Playhouse, John Paragon.
2: Oh. No, I did not know that.
0: Oh, yeah. well, Elvira, wow. uh, Cassandra Peterson and uh, Pee-wee and John Paragon and Phil Hartman were all ground links together. See, so. I
2: knew the I knew the Phil Hartman connection, but I I didn't know that. Oh, that's fabulous! Uh, I, I do have to ask though, guys: Is Blaze the worst showbiz mom since Joan Crawford? I am thinking she might be.
1: I think she takes it to a whole new level. the The relationship with her son when we see her son and she's you know trying to seduce him, be sexy mom for her <laughs> own son, that more than weirded me out. That was like some some Trump Ivanka stuff happening right there before my very eyes, y'all. <laughs>
3: I mean, y'all try breaking up with the fawns, see how that affects (laughs) you. That's
0: that's a really good point. Yeah, I (laughs) mean, her her TV's been on the fritz since you know '78, so (laughs) how's she ever gonna catch up?
2: It's, it's It's such a weird twist because, again, this is on the heels of Halloween. And Friday the 13th, like all, all the holiday horror stuff was starting to come along now. Yeah. That's why this movie got made. And I, I mean it's a great concept, you know, New <laughs> Year's Eve, New Year's Evil, it writes itself. And we get a killer who's gonna kill somebody in all the time zones. And I actually like misremembered before I went back and rewatched this movie again several years ago that like isn't the plot of that that like somebody goes time zone to time zone killing people? And I'm like, that's just impossible. Like you could never pull it off. But um you know, this, challenge this, this, accepted. Right, like unless you're screen three, you know, and you've got so many killers <laughs> we can't keep up with. But yeah, I, I, I love I love how Blaze walks in though. She's got this whole persona. What I find is amazing is she doesn't talk any different out of character and in character. She talks the same the whole time. You bad, honey? Can you go get me some ice water? I mean, she's just talking to people the same way, and I'm like, oh, Ross Kelly's giving the same bad performance in every scene. That's that thing's <laughs> work.
1: Definitely does. You know, um, if like you're saying, you know, you're asking your assistant to go grab you some water or you're talking to a man who just played the the, who just played you a video or an audio recording of him slaughtering some woman. And it's the same reaction. Uh, That takes some skill right there. Y'all, I think we're underappreciating her talent.
3: I mean, it takes some skill being married to a Bruce Jenner lookalike in general. Right. I mean,
1: (laughs) wasn't Bruce Jenner still cool then, though? I mean, that's probably why they went for this guy.
2: Right. Oh, th- yeah, this guy is straight out of that. Ron and I both had thought he was the grocery store killer from the beginning of Cobra, but he's not. He just looks like him. But he he's been a lot in other like movies him. we've reviewed. So, yeah, it's an you know, actor, Kip Niven, that you've seen a lot of things. He only recently passed away. Uh, but, yeah, had been around, had acted for decades and was in all kinds of stuff, played a lot of heavies. I mean, you can see why. But he is, my wife described him in the five minutes of this movie she watched as like the perfect soap opera bland evil person. And I said, yeah, that, that's pretty much it. Yeah. Yep. That's a perfect description. Yep. The um, one thing he's got, though, is whatever in the heck that voice coder thing is that he's I, I am evil, Ron, or whatever that <laughs> evil Yoda voice he's got going. I, that is that's what sets this movie on a whole nother level. <laughs>
1: It just looked like those those things you used to have, on, you know, the the little things you used they were, you know, about 4 inches long and they had uh, all the prism effect. You'd look in and twist it and, you know, twist it and it would make everything look into a prism effect around you. It looked like he was just holding one of those up and making a silly voice. Yes. Right. He's just trying to sound cool, but there's no there's no voice modulation. The the film didn't even buck up for the extra money to get a real voice modulator.
3: Uh, uh I don't know about y'all though. If I was home alone and received a call like this, I'd be more freaked out by <laughs> this voice and ghost face. He could teach Ghostface a few lessons. In yeah,
2: and I, yes. I realized Kevin Williamson must be a huge mark for this movie too, because it's the only way to explain the ghost face, kill your voice thing, which is an actual actor. Right. But I mean, Roger Jackson's made a career out of doing that voice now, but no, that is, uh, that is so what that comes from. And I, I saw this movie before I saw the first scream. So when I saw scream, I was like, huh, oh, it's new year's evil guy.
0: <laughs> well i mean it's we're still pretty adjacent to the 70s so yeah. like he just got that thing that peter frampton would put in his mouth to make his guitar talk oh the tog box the
2: worst yeah. guitar yeah. ever
0: yeah yeah so he's <laughs> just got that but uh but he doesn't have a guitar to hook it up to so he's just like talking into the tube
2: can you read my mind i'm going to kill you at midnight or whatever he's trying to say <laughs> yeah. Eastern standard time that kills my sure standard <laughs> that's what's so great about this He's, he does this whole bit i love how he calls to kill her you know i'm gonna kill a naughty girl at midnight and i love her reaction is like huh? okay i mean like she has no like i don't know if they weren't telling her what he was saying to her or what but she has zero reaction to that phone call at all other than that was strange and then hangs up you know <laughs> must
0: be a full moon <laughs> Yeah, she totally underplays that, the fact that she got a threatening phone call on live television. But I don't know. Maybe she doesn't want to f- freak out all the uh, the drugged up pseudo punks that are uh, uh, slowly swaying back and forth against each other while she talks.
2: Yeah, can we just talk about how these people are clearly dancing to music that they didn't get licensed for? And then they had to <laughs> overlay what else they had and it does not, does not match at all. It's like Crispin Glover in Friday the Thirteenth Four. Have you ever seen him try to dance in that? Like he, whatever song is in there, don't yeah. blame him. He was dancing <laughs> to ACDC. They could <laughs> well,
1: They all seem like they're. They all seem like they're on some serious downers, right? They are just not having fun. Random. I, I don't understand, you know, in, in, in just to show to talk about the production quality, you'll see them dancing and there's a smoke machine and then you'll go and see the, somebody talking on the phone and you come back and a or, or fog machine and you come back and the, all the fog is gone. The room was filling up and all of a sudden it's gone. There's no sequetter at all in this uh, in, in between these scenes. It's amazing. It is amazing
2: yes, how little they cared you. about keeping things going. It's like they shot this movie and then realized, oh, we need more coverage, but we have like a third of the extras still here. So they just changed the angle of the camera and now it's like there's eight people at the party. <laughs> Before it was a room full of people. But now it's these eight people and the band lethargically just swaying on stage.
0: Yeah, I've been to some punk concerts and to some punk establishments back in my head of Mohawk days. And I don't remember any... I've met a lot of people who are on a, a wide variety of drugs, but I don't remember a lot of that zombie-like swaying back and forth being a thing. And I don't remember anybody playing any extended blues rock jams <laughs> in the middle of a punk set either.
2: Yeah, can I we mean, talk about just the where, random Where did that come from? from?
3: Yeah, yeah I know. in the 80s, you're supposed to be on speed, not downers,
2: to your point, Tom. Like, <laughs> they were very low energy for... <laughs> Yeah, eight. why aren't these guys playing? I want to be sedated at twice the normal speed, like the Ramones do, instead of playing I, the the fifth break from the Black Crows record or something <laughs> like this. I mean, it, it breaks into this weird buddy guy ripoff thing in the middle of it. And you're watching this band pantomime to a song they clearly played on a record somewhere. And I'm like, why don't you guys do that? It doesn't fit at all. <laughs> but in another way, it completely fits how this movie takes so many weird <laughs> left turns. Um, because we, we get the opening kill. We got to talk about it. that happens in the first five minutes. Yvonne, the assistant, we meet her for one scene. The scene she dies in. Where she is sent to go and change in her room, she walks in and we get the reverse psycho. Instead of being killed in the shower, she's killed by somebody in the shower with a switchblade. And Ron, we we've, we've chased switchblades and butterfly knives all over 2020 on Film Strip, man.
0: <laughs> yeah, this has been the year of of the concealed knife in this podcast because man, it's. Yeah,
2: Streets of Fire, The Warriors, Class of yeah, 1984. Been, yeah,
0: there's been nothing but switchblades and butterfly knives for, I mean, we haven't seen this many butterfly knives since we were doing the American Ninja movies.
2: This is true. This is oh, true. But it's also been is a great epic. soundtrack too, to, to carry on from that. That that stabbing
1: scene was epic. That blood was, was quint, the, the quintessential B-rate horror blood. It was beautiful, the way they executed it. Um And I like how the Switchblade, talk about the Switchblade, I like how it keeps coming up. We see it later when one of the punks tries to intimidate security at the the theater where he pulls out those Switchblade combs that were so cool in the 80s that I'm sure all of us had as children.
2: (laughs) Full full confession, I had one, yes. Absolutely,
3: we all did, man. We were so cool with those. I had one, and I was more of a kid in the early 90s. Yes, we get it, you're young. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs>
2: I think everybody, every boy gets one of those at some they point do. or another. You know what? Because you all grew up in places where you went to a county fair, and that's just what happens at those things. Or a we, haunted house held by a school, and that's a prize. And oh, Or, it's definitely, North, yeah. or New Absolutely. York before they cleaned up its act.
1: <laughs> that was just practice for what you were supposed to become to fit into New York,
0: Anthony. <laughs> exactly. It's true. Yeah, yeah. it's true. That was just a uh, real switchblade that you used to comb your hair. <laughs> I, I, I will say this. You, you did have the best part of anybody in elementary school because you literally shaved it into your head.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Look at my comb. I'm, I'm not thinking about moving? York and Knives and I just need, I just need Paul Hogan to walk through a scene and go, that's not a comb. Here's a comb. So, At that point but no, we get the great opening kill. We get worst yeah. stage mom ever. Evil calls the show. And then we get something that blows my mind in the first act of the movie. First act. Now, it's not uncommon to see the killer early. Cause this is in the frigging shark and jaws. So we know this is happening, but you'll know, Friday the 13th play with this so that they can play red herring at the end. Halloween. It was very clear who the killer was. You know, you, you see these things. Mm-hmm. Not only do we get the killer that we get full face revealed the whole bit. Mm-hmm. And I, that, that blows my mind in a horror movie. And I wanted to ask the three of you, do you ever remember another horror movie where the base reveal on the killer, and it's obviously the killer is done so early in a movie? No. And and I've never seen a horror movie where the,
1: where the killer is an integral part of, of the plot, like or a, an integral character in other people's lives and completely removed until there's supposed to be the shocker that, I had no idea she was married. I just assumed she was single, dealing with an, her son. And then all of once, not only is she married, oh yeah, by the way, her husband's the killer. Like, that's not the shocker usually. You know what I mean? The shocker is not usually she's married. The shocker is, oh, we've talked to the husband. We know what's going on.
0: It was a really weird, again, just out of left field. I'm going to put a lot of the blame slash credit on this to Golan and Globus, who, if you're familiar at all with Golden Globus or Canon films or any of the movies that they did in the 80s they were two Israeli guys who grew up watching a bunch of American movies who then tried to make American movies themselves despite having never at the, uh, through most of this despite having never even been in America until like the late 70s like they just came over from Israel with a bag
2: full of money and were like uh, we make movies now <laughs> it's, it's like Mustafa Khan and Tommy Wiseau. Got together and then these two guys are their they're weird cousins. <laughs> you know, they,
1: they were the ones that did like Death Wish, the follow-ups to Death Wish. They did the Delta Force. They did American Ninja. Um, these Great guys game. made stereo. They, they made. They made a uh, a satire stereotypical American film, right? And in, <laughs> in this, they did a beautiful job at what how foreigners must see American horror.
0: <laughs>
3: you know, as weird as a choice was, though you know you talk about other holiday horror films i enjoyed this a lot more than black christmas which is a lot more critically acclaimed this was just more fun a lot more fun
2: anthony I, i may be the only person on earth that'll tell you that the 2006 remake of black christmas is way more fun than the original one the original one has got ideas that people steal from for years but that's the only thing it's got going for it the story is terrible this one has complete trash from the very beginning to the end and it's like it's not even hiding itself it's like you you didn't come to you know ruth's chris you rolled into a whataburger at three in the morning and you're there for it you know you got you got to just know that coming in and i think typified by in this kill scene when he's working on the nurse um, in more ways than one where they're doing champagne shots out of specimen cups. I mean, <laughs> classiest. they fancy. fancy. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they were clean
0: specimen cups.
2: They were not used ones that, that we know of this is true the least at least we didn't know but what i love is he's got her down on the table and we have this gratuitous you know unzipped shot but we don't get any nudity until much later in the movie and i was like if there's any movie that would have like gratuitous just useless nudity it would be this movie we and did then, have nudity at the beginning we did in oh, the van have, yeah we did in the, yeah we did yeah you're right we did have that Completely and, I, out of again out of left field we don't know who that girl
1: was why what yeah and the van never came back up again <laughs> I guarantee
2: you that like rolled by and they ran down the street and said, could you come back and just do a quick shot real quick? We don't have permits. But... <laughs> <laughs> Make it work. Because it totally works. Because what I love is he's making out with this girl and, and Richard has the longest arms ever. Maybe he was Bruce Jenner because he can reach over and turn the tape recorder <laughs> over without looking while he's making out with this woman. Get his switch plate <laughs> up and wait for the countdown. Three, two, stab. And he's got it all worked out like somewhere in his head, he worked out and choreographed. Then when I've got her making out with me, I'm gonna stab her on two. On two or on one? No, on two. That it'll be good and effective with a fire.
1: It was yeah, that was that was an epic scene all the way around. I mean from the time she entered, she she meets him, right? This random dude that she's never seen comes out of a room with a an early 80s boom box. That somehow makes him cool because who's not going to go to an insane asylum to work without a boombox, right? I mean, that's something you have to have, I guess, on New Year's Eve. Never questions whether the guy should be there. Again, she's around mentally ill patients all day long and instead decides,
2: let's go make out. Right. And can we talk about the level of care at this facility? You got the other nurse like shoving the little blowers into everybody's mouth and putting hats on them at party at midnight, Michael Myers Jr. or whatever. Like all these juniors giving her this look and I'm like, man, this this must have been before like a lot of good HIPAA laws or something. This is terrible. And yeah, that, just, I was to believe that that's where Richard had gone for, quote, treatment. Because they talk about him being in Palm Springs. And I'm like, but in that – that's not really what he went for, right? Like They would recognize him, you'd think. I don't think
0: he went there for treatment. I think uh, him going to Palm spray, Springs is because he spent all of the 70s burning his nose out on Coke. And he needed to get, like, back to reality. But – I also think that's the reason why he's so uh, vengeful against women throughout this movie. I made a joke of it in my plot summary, but I think the, that switchblade is the only thing he can unfurl, uh, so to speak. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've, we've got two. We've got two precursors here. This this movie is somewhat
1: prophetic. At the at the party, we've got those people who are just kind of you know not really dancing dancing around those are obviously the early emo 80s kids who were far too cool to actually look like they were enjoying the, mu- the the music and then we've got him who is the now the poster child founder of the incel movement today right this is who they're obviously trying to be like yes <laughs> his his whole his whole diatribe he he unleashes on blaze at the end it's like wow i feel like i'm reading 4chan right now <laughs> Yeah, you're right. It's
2: uh, that and YouTube comments. Yeah, all like yeah. Derek's lines. Uh, you know, <laughs> that's how they all go. And let's talk about poor Derek. He's having a hard time, y'all. Uh, the pantyhose cutting scene and the flower ripping and the pulling it over the face thing. And I'm going like, so obviously this movie's trying to give us red herrings as to who the killers are. So has Derek left? Has he gone back? Like it wants you to not realize, but it, but that's the thing is it's doing this thing after it's already shown us who showed sure us the killer. We know who it is. So unless they're setting this up, it's that leads me to a question: Who do you guys think killed Yvonne? Do you think Richard did it, or do you think Derek did it? I'm gonna say I think. <laughs>
3: a better movie would have had Derek do it. Like a movie that was actually like trying, right? <laughs> but it's gotta be, it's gotta be Richard who did it just by the quality of this movie as fun and entertaining as it is. It's gotta be Richard.
0: I think that Derek did it because I'm thinking they're going to book in the movie with a Derek kill and then end the movie with a Derek kill.
1: Yeah. I'm, I'm in the same boat because Otherwise, when did Richard get in the hotel? When did he leave? What's that whole storyline? You know, where is he? How's he killing in Palm Springs? And here, I don't know.
2: I I think it's Derek too because there's that scene later on when he finally does show up and talks to Blaze and we'll talk about that in more detail in a minute. But Derek drops some line about I was supposed to be in a big surprise, but I don't even care about it anymore cuz I'm so disaffected, mom. And he just walks <laughs> out the room, you know or whatever. I also realized that Trey Parker and Matt Stone have seen this movie cuz these are the goth kids from from the the later seasons of South Park. It's Absolutely that are totally over everything. But yeah, I, I think, I think it's Derek too, because it sets up because he, it's also the way Richard just goes off later. Like you were talking about in his 4chan rant about, I'm going to take my boy to the roast bowl. And all this kind of stuff. <laughs> like, they've been plotting this for weeks, you know, or at least hours to, to pull it together. So we get our next victim at a bar at the new year's Eve party. Well, it's wearing a disguise. And my question is, why wear a disguise? Nobody knows who the <laughs> hell you <are> anyway. <laughs> Bruce Jenner, so why did you put on the cheap porn stash that makes you look like 80s Florida quarterback Kerwin Bell? <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: wow,
1: Kerwin Bell. Jeez. Have, that's, a, that's a trip down memory lane. Oh,
0: kidding.
3: Way
1: before Anthony's time.
3: Yeah, but I, I got the reference there, Tom.
1: It's a New Year's evil m- miracle and a random stutter from Tom.
0: <laughs> I I think maybe he, like, had to shave his mustache off because he had one too many bloody noses in the 70s and he always missed it. So this was more okay. like, I'm going to get my mustache back one way or the other.
2: Well, I pick up quite possibly the dumbest person i can possibly find in a bar and her most annoying friend who clearly does not want to be there but the annoying friend who has conquered a lot she's conquered the running diarrhea the nervous diarrhea so we shouldn't make she
1: did she did uh but I'm, I'm gonna counter that these are the only two victims that really just got what they had coming
2: i was about to say if you were going to
3: kill anyone in that bar you would it's these two women annoying I mean, they're, yeah. they're,
1: they're, they love disco. Come on, that's that's not that's not a, that's not okay. Even in
2: 1980, that's not okay. Yeah, Ron, Ron called that out perfectly. Right, that's the reason you got to take these two out because, like, you it's know, 100. See, it'sy and her friend Karen have got to go. Going back
1: to this being prophetic, Karen is such a darn Karen in this film too. You just can't stand her. But well, maybe this movie's got more layers than we thought, y'all.
3: It's during this bar scene. I'm sympathizing with this killer more than I sympathize with Michael Myers, Jason Voorhees, the Black Christmas dude, any of these other killers from around this time, because this guy's actually targeting the
2: annoying people, not some helpless. It's you know it's, poor being It's Proto Jason before he started killing everybody we hated from high school. It's it's the <laughs> filter for that. I mean that's that's what this is. These two people like it is like let's pick. Like the first woman here, like, well, she's just a kind of wacky, horny nurse, but she's working the night shift at the loony bin. So let's cut her some slack. She has some That's champagne out life, of y'all. I mean, she had some, you know, cold duck out of a specimen cup. So let's give her, <laughs> let's give her a break and, and let that slide. But these two, it's like, no, these people have got to go. Like, it's, and I love how he sets it all up, too. One woman goes to the bathroom. Gives her a $100 bill. Give me the most expensive bottle they got in there, honey. I don't know if y'all caught it. She gets $95 back in chain. So she just <laughs> grabs some extra brute off the shelf and <laughs> was ready to go. And he leaves this little, like, Hansel and Gretel cookie crumb trail of her dumb friend all the way to the dumpster. And he does the John McClane lighter for her. You know, <laughs> and come out to the coast. We'll have a few laughs. I'll kill you and stuff you <laughs> in the <laughs> <laughs> Although,
0: let, let's be honest. For the dumb friend, it was only a matter of time before someone killed her. I oh, mean, yeah. she was in TM, TA, uh, Est. She probably would have been into Scientology. Uh, yeah. She would have signed one of those one-billion-year contracts with Sea Org. She would have <laughs> ended up like Shelley Miskovich at some point.
2: So, How do we so know, know was, she wasn't? That's what I'm gonna say. I, I I was waiting for Scientology to come next from all the things she said she was into. So the only other two annoying female characters like that I've ever been in the movie where I specifically rooted for the killer to do them in, besides probably the 13th movies, was the two women that John Malkovich kills in the middle of in the line of fire because <laughs> they figure out he's not from Michigan or Wisconsin or Minnesota or wherever the hell ever. And he just kills them, in, you know, for no reason at all and lets their dog sit there in front of him. Like those two. I was like, Yeah, they're relatives of these two people like they they had to go but I, I love the again the little trail they leave and then the cops find the same trail and and follow the bodies and he sets it up to where uh, karen will slide down the slide so, so then we see her dead while the other people are all propped up on the uh uh the swings and stuff it's i mean he's doing some elaborate work there for a guy that's only got an hour in between kills
0: right he's an artist i think uh that he he had uh Done some dry runs of this. I think that he he had been prepared for all this. I think he had like a, a like a hundred and twenty pound bag of concrete that he was like hauling up to the top of a slide and trying to figure out, okay, how can I balance this so that it eventually shifts enough to slide down of <laughs> the slide. I, I think this was a lot of careful planning, and uh, I also think that you know if it wasn't if it wasn't for this guy, it would have been like Richard Ramirez or. Uh, here, uh, the night stalker or somebody like that would have gotten her at some point. It makes
1: me, know. it does make me sad when this movie is filmed because I, you know, going back to what you're saying, he he prepped up for this in a post Rocky world. We could have had an awesome, some awesome upbeat music. I of the tiger training to dispose of bodies. That <laughs> would have been epic.
2: The the preview to New Year's Evil, like New Year's Evil, Evil, Eve Evil or whatever. So we we do we do Richard's training montage. So New Year's preval. There we go. Ron fixed it. Yes. He also oh, rated now. a good prop department because now he becomes like a priest from an airplane movie all of a sudden. <laughs> to to run around for the mountain time zone kill. And I love that he's like, his whole timing has been thrown off and he's not paying attention because he's listening to the the radio because now the cops have got word of it, right? we got to talk about that one cop comes to visit Blaze and basically says, you know, this is all your fault. And I'm like, yes, it's a precursor to like Geraldo's entire 1980s career. We bring wacko preachers on TV to blame everything on the rock and roll. Is it that still his career, Jay? Yes, it is. He's, he's circled back around. So, <laughs> But it was what he did in the 80s, for sure. So are you implying,
0: Jay, that at some point uh, on Hollywood Hotline, the special guest had been like, I don't know, uh, the neo-Nazi band Screwdriver? <laughs> and then like the next act was Bad Brain, so that way they could just fight each other. Yes. And someone throws a chair and breaks Blaze's nose.
2: Yes, and and Guar made an appearance as the special referee. That's how that went down.
0: (laughs) No, it was it was Gigi Allen.
2: (laughs) Fair enough, but I I love how the cops are blaming all this on her. That's supposed like, well, you know, this is what happens when you do your kind of show, and that's hilarious to me. And and then you get him again running around, and he's paying no attention, so he rear ends a Harley Davidson, which that is not. Good. <laughs> That's not a good move. And now he's on the run from the bikers. And he's clearly like, Oh, I've only got ten minutes to kill somebody and I gotta get rid of the Hell's Angels.
1: <laughs> well, I love the whole biker scene how we're you know we're supposed to see these bikers as bad guys. They randomly pull up next to the priest and flip him off for no reason whatsoever. Uh it's again that that whole I'm not sure how this how this story builds, but it's it's really interesting to see how rando Israeli writers see American culture.
2: There's also part of this too in the drive-in thing where I think about the Francis Ford Coppola Outsiders movie. Yep. Um, you know, with I mean with none of the class that any of the actors brought to the scenes, but the same kind of idea, you know, also Greece. You know, is going on here. Like Danny Zuko is three rows over, you know, trying to make out with Sandy, while while <laughs> he decides to kill the gratuitous uh, shirtless girl uh, and her boyfriend. Which I, I did see this, the wife walk back through the room <laughs> during this and was like, "Oh yeah, I guess it's that time of the movie." And that's all she said. <laughs> but I love that that girl is like You're paying there. him no mind at all. She just popping her bubble gum and watching the mm-hmm. you know trailers for Mister Popcorn or whatever. Neither of them are into it at all. It's like some sort of,
1: he's like groping her breast out of some sad, it's, it, there's the, there's the cards against humanity card, <laughs> the, the, the sad hand job card. And I feel like this is the equivalent of it, right?
2: All, all I could think of, all I could think of was some guy sitting around pay, playing poker years later going, it's like a bag of sand. <laughs> <laughs> I was watching this. Song, was like, is it? That's yes. this guy. That's exactly it's Andy from Forty Year Old Virgin. He, he survived because <laughs> he survives. He lives. That's the other thing. That, you know, he he lives through this before she gets. To, and she does too. I, I really thought he was going to kill her. Too. I was a little surprised that she got away. That I I don't think the biker counts, i, I Ron. To, to put it into account, I, the the idea was to kill a naughty girl. So I don't I don't think <laughs> that counts as the biker.
0: The biker only counts if killing him gave the guy an erection, and that they don't establish that for us. So I, I don't, I don't know if that's going to count. I mean, it might have moved a little bit, but that's just from unfurling <laughs> the switchblade.
3: I think it moved. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: So, so we, of course, so he's the one watching for it. So he, he
2: chases her <laughs> to the ballpark too, and I love how you know the cops show up just in time, he's like. Dang it, I've got to run away. And I'm like, there's probably nothing more conspicuous. At you know near midnight, a priest running through a ballpark carrying a you know knife. Like you know, we're not remaking The Omen, so what's going on here? Somebody might have stopped him, but he, he's able to squirrel away. But his whole plan is screwed up now. And part of me wondered, like, if it ever crossed Richard's mind to like, you know what? Dang it, we'll just do it again next year because <laughs> I've <I'm laughs> screwed this up now, and I can't get my mountain time kill. But I'm so close to the hotel. Maybe I'll just go ahead and finish it.
0: Oh, man. he's just gonna he's just gonna have to go he's just gonna retroactively go back and count the biker so it doesn't look like he failed in his mission that's that's all that is he's like well i killed somebody it's not the same uh, but you know he
2: you know he wasn't wearing a shirt i guess it kind of counts i mean and i've got these rose bowl tickets already you know i need to go see this so that's it's important so i gotta make kickoff i don't have time to Think about this anymore. I love that we get the red herring stuff from the cop psychologist just in the middle of this movie for no reason at all. Because we need to recreate the end of Psycho in the middle of this movie for some reason, but with like none of the panache of the way that uh, that, that gets delivered. Oh, well, we also, mention, they needed to pad out this running time a little bit because
3: at, even at the finished product with credits, it's 85 minutes. So they were like, hmm, mm-hmm. we need another few minutes here in the middle to make it a theatrical runtime. <laughs>
0: True. Well, I mean, if you're going to go ahead and do the shower scene, you may as well just steal some more stuff from Psycho. Like, you did the reverse shower. So why not go ahead and just do the uh, psychologist showing up to explain everything?
2: Yeah, 30 minutes early, but sure. So, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Well, that but was supposed good.
0: to be the end of the movie, but then they realized, oh, well, it's <laughs> only like 45 minutes long. We better, <laughs> we yeah. better go back and yes. film some more slow motion slam dancing.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I early and get that and going. Post- I love here at the end though finally she you know the cops gonna, not going to let Blaze out of his sight she's like I really need to change clothes I'm not into that today so you know please please leave me alone and the husband shows up Richard's big reveal wearing the Lou Abbott mask why <laughs> why do we pull that out at the end I think there's they're trying to get us to go
1: oh, she knows the killer but again There was no setup for us to have that feel that we weren't invested in their relationship at all.
0: There's just like a throwaway (laughs) line earlier in the movie where she's like, I tried to call Richard, but I couldn't get a hold of him up in Palm Springs. I guess he's still detoxing or whatever.
3: You know, Uh, know uh, when he shows up at the mask at the end, it reminds me of like okay, this is the first scene we shot of this movie, and then it's like, hmm, we're doing reshoots, and now we don't want him to wear a mask, but we don't have the time or the budget to go back and shoot that scene, so, you know, we're just going to keep it.
0: (laughs) Yeah, they don't do a a good job of establishing this mask at all and, and, and for it to have any importance. I mean, by all rights, he should have showed up in a priest collar, Under a a Romanian tracksuit with a fake mustache on.
2: At that point, right? So I mean, (laughs) we see him like you know get out of a car, and he sneaks by a cop, and because some of the punks are trying to get into the party, which he's like, "No, it's full in there," and I'm like, "No, it's not. I just saw the shot. There's like four people in there, so no, (laughs) it's you know, nobody's gonna make it to midnight." So I, I love how Richard. Though his whole plan is, I've got to get her alone. You know, I'm I'm going to get her alone. And this is what, of course, Derek has stormed out of the room uh, because he's angry at his mother again. And And Richard's whole thing is he shorts out the elevator and like conveniently realizes if I do it just right, the cop will fall backwards and be (laughs) incapacitated enough for me to kick him in the face.
1: (laughs) Uh, I think I think the reason we got the whole uh we got to go back I think the reason we have the uh uh the whole scene where uh Derek is is storming off we definitely we're we're revisiting that uh, that Oedipal complex here y'all mom won't make out for, with him Derek's mad evil's going to come in and kill him for for just teasing Derek I mean that's that's what we're coming down to
2: but Apparently she don't make out with Richard either so cuz that's about the only thing he doesn't accuse her of in the. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that elevator seat, the whole elevator thing, watching the elevator go up and down the way he was playing, the way he was working it. Um, it was like a Muppet I, movie when they couldn't get it, it to work. just Right. right. <laughs> and they, they keep zooming in, but they don't care enough to, just to learn how elevators work or electrical currents work. It's just like, OK, people will think if I just put this metal thing here, this will happen. That's fine. It's OK. It's OK.
2: Oh, even better, he's got a trunk full of like supplies where he can like patch in and run this cord here. And he's running like the test tube and all this. And then he's got, then he's just got a Phillips head screwdriver, like, ah, hell with it. Just the- <laughs> short it all out. But he's got this huge trunk for this stuff. And I'm like, that must hold all the disguises. I'm like, Richard's been working out. I mean, he's got a lot of strength to haul this crap around and have it stationed at the right place, at the right time. he
0: he had a lot of time on his hands up in uh up at passages
2: (laughs) (laughs) what are your goals richard you need to have goals you're right i do (laughs) And he starts working it all out i'm gonna become a an electrician and a stage manager yes it's a great plan (laughs) but his ultimate plan is he hangs blaze up by elevator chains so she can be crushed by the elevator later. <laughs> and I'm like, I mean, I wanted to be like Scott Evil. I'm like, man, you could just shoot her. I mean, at this point, like, it, you kind of got her where you want her. What are you doing? And, and again, that, per- that perfectly works. You should go get his son and be like, no, let's just shoot her. You know, and not do all this crap. But then we can go, we can go eat midnight pancakes, dad. And then we can go to the roast ball. <laughs> <laughs> that's the one thing that's, that's the
1: one thing this movie does right as a horror film, though. The, the, the killer gets so arrogant and, and lazy and sloppy that he lets his main victim live, right? That's why Jamie Lee Curtis is set to die, like, through, you know, Halloween 64. Uh, she's never going to die, and, and he's going to keep trying and messing up.
3: That's why Nev Campbell is still kicking in Scream 5, the upcoming yes. Scream 5. Oh, are, there only, <laughs> are
1: there only five of those? I thought we were at, like, 26 or something. <laughs>
2: So that's no. the stab franchise inside of Scream. <laughs> <laughs> you know,
3: not to not to brief tangent there. I read an article ranking all the you know classic horror icons by kill count. Somehow, Ghostface managed to kill more than like some of these people, like Michael Myers and stuff. I forget the one like some of these really big yeah, there's ones. There's been like five. Of yet, them. There's
1: been yes. so many movies, and he's in but, the Scream and in his killing. Yeah Yet Mike Myers does he always a better job.
3: fails to kill the three main characters who have lasted all five
2: films spanning thirty years. I mean, he probably doesn't recognize the Courtney Cox character anymore. To be fair, yeah.
3: oh, so. that's odd. Oh. I recently. Told- well, oh, that's
1: odd. we just you just <laughs> talked about that on tis the podcast. Um, I did. Well, you know if we if we look at the Final Fantasy or the Final Destination serious is that a final yes. destination mm-hmm. you know if if the universe god karma whatever people believe in can't kill the main characters how do we expect somebody like michael myers to do it
2: yeah if tony todd can't get you as candy man or death incarnate you, you you're okay <laughs> you <Yeah. laughs> will be all right go take that to vegas so but anyway richard tries to hang blaze up by elevator change or something and then we get a massive shootout dirty harry style with the cobs uh, which I did not expect to see at the end of this movie, but uh, we, we do. We get a lot of uh, volleyed fire back and forth, and some of them just happen to randomly hit that circuit panel, thank goodness, at the right moment, because that's what happens at the end of the Dynasty episode.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's, that's uh, pretty convenient. Um, I, there were so many like insert shots of them just jamming a screwdriver into that electrical panel. It, I think it turned around and it was like 12 and a
1: half minutes or something of that same scene over and it was and they didn't redo it, it was just rewind, push,
2: rewind, push, rewind, push. I think you're right. I think they got that like when they did it, they actually got decent sparks from the effect. And they're like, man, we just gotta keep using that. Like Emmett Austin sitting there in the edit bay going, hey, we gotta get three more minutes in. Go back to the screwdriver. <laughs> <laughs> it's our best looking special effects in Sivan's kill. So
0: Let's let's make sure Blaze goes up and down on the elevator a few more times. Let's just reverse. Let's just reverse that uh, <laughs> that footage and put it back in. I, right, I pull, tell. that
2: chain was around her neck, right? Yes, and her in her hands <laughs> and poor Roz Kelly is just she's like on the torture rack, or she is with the chains. At some point, that pressure's got to pull
1: pull uh, uh, on your esophagus. She's got to stop breathing at some point.
2: But no, nope. she looks pretty bad when they wheel her in the ambulance at the end.
0: She fair. does. She does are you sure that's just because she didn't like sweat her makeup off in that elevator pit
2: yeah there there is like moments of this where like <laughs> they clearly don't care about the glamour of the actress and stuff and they want you to show you like how how much rougher her night gets because see her hair, the aquanet's falling out of her hair and the makeup's starting to run and she's yeah yeah she's had three or four marble lights it's a it's been a tough go
1: <laughs> that explains why we've got so much caked on makeup at the at the beginning for not only her but the guy who comes to- how how little time she has. I don't know which one of them had more makeup, but man, that was some seriously thick, caked-on makeup, y'all. Uh, but now it makes sense. They got to show us how rough of a night it is.
3: Yeah, You know, yes. that's that's a choice I like. Horror movies don't do that enough. They'll have the final girl last all night get to the last scene, and she still looks like she could be on the cover of Playboy or something. You
1: know? right? Well, you've obviously never murdered a whole group of teenage girls before, Anthony. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Richard had neither until this night as far. No, so uh, <laughs> but anyway so we get the chase to the rooftop and we get the, probably the most inexplicable thing in this movie which is saying something uh, the lou abbott mask and then we decide we're going to do a little we're going to do a little hamlet before we take a dive off of the roof what is there any significant anyone who's more better read than i am any significance to that speech that richard lays out before he uh, jumps you know, i've been trying
0: to figure out if it had any significance and i can't i, I can't come up with it
3: you know both me and tom are english lit majors so i'm sure we both know shakespeare pretty well i i tom correct me keep me honest but i do not think there was any significant to that particular speech
1: nothing came to mind for me at all
0: yeah i i, I was also an english major and like uh, i got nothing man they're, they're so yeah. there's so much more appropriate Shakespeare you could have used. There are much better lines from Hamlet you could have used. Uh, so I'm not really sure what that whole point was. Uh, and at no point is it established that Richard is the kind of guy who would read who would have any familiarity at all with Shakespeare.
2: Yeah, it's it's the it's only second worst shoving of Shakespeare into your narrative motif than what the Twilight movies tried to do for the first three of those when those are all supposed to be, you know, riffs of Shakespeare plays at some time or another. Uh, but on, only second to that, I would think. But yeah, it's very strange. But what I love here is we get that we get the final. Will Derek follow in his father's path? You know, crazy Derek's eyes behind the Lou Abbott mask, and I'm like, yeah, to never be continued because no, that we were never going to come back for the, you know New Year's Evil two, the Dereking.
3: Th- this final scene actually reminded me of the most recent Halloween film, where Jamie Lee Curtis is in the back of the truck with her daughter and her granddaughter, and it just. So then on her granddaughter, holding the bloody knife in her hand and then cut to black. Except you yes. know we're going to get 20 sequels to that one, despite them only saying we're going to get two. But
2: <laughs> Right, right. Yeah, no, I, I, I don't know. It's just a, it was such a strange end. But it, le- it, it gives me credence to my theory that Derek was involved in this to begin with. And he killed Yvonne and then was supposed to be there to help kill mom. But, you know, he got petulant and dad took a dive. So now he's going to take care of it himself. He, yeah, know, he, he, he would... day, I do wish there was a sequel, though. I enjoy that this movie this
3: much. Like, I, uh, you know, I just want to dread central summed it up perfectly with this little just line, if I may, <laughs> in their review. This isn't worth your time if you are looking for a horror film to deliver get in scares or suspense. But as a late night horror fix, it's ideal. What New Year's Evil lacks in scares, it makes up for in pure entertainment. And really, that's all you can ask for. And that sums it up perfectly for me. And I'm like, man, this is one of those really B-C-list movies I wish got a few sequels because I had a lot of fun watching this.
0: Yeah, the fact that it didn't get any sequels is how you know it didn't make any money at all. Because if if there would have been a way to shoot New Year's
2: Evil 2 in the Philippines, Golden and Globus would have figured it out. <laughs> yes, yes. They <laughs> would have done it. It would have been awesome too. And look, they've kicked it around for years in Hollywood that oh, we're going to do a reboot of this. I think it's right for it at some point down the line. But it's going to be hard to top because the other thing this movie does is it knows how to get in and get out and it knows to end on the button of that song. we got to have that guitar riff lead us into the credits and get, get out of here because again, that's the best performance in the whole film. We we need to go back to that. I mean, to your point, Jay, it's definitely ripe for a remake.
3: They've remade just about every other holiday slasher film at this point. It's only a matter of
2: time. It's gotta be. It's yeah. Gotta if Prom night be. gets a remake with Brittany snow. Come on. <laughs> I'm still waiting for my Father's Flag day. day mass- got
3: a remake.
1: <laughs> I'm still waiting for the flag day massacre. Y'all. <laughs> we need to get some underrepresented holidays going on in here.
2: No, there is Uncle Sam. There is, is Uncle Sam Yeah, Wait, isn't that like a cousin to Jack Frost, which we've also done on this show at one time?
0: <laughs> I don't know, but if you could find a way to have like Jack Frost versus Uncle Sam, I'm buying that movie.
2: I just got to get the oh. puppet master. guy to buy it. <laughs> then,
0: yeah, then, let's just get the uh, let's just get Charles Band. You know, uh, we'll
2: send a note to the castle. <laughs> <laughs> it's worth for the shots. Well, guys, I think we're at the part of the podcast where it's time to give final thoughts, recommendations, popcorn ratings. So, what are yours for New Year's Evil, Anthony? Let's start with you.
3: Well, I think I just summed I just summed it up two minutes ago two two minutes ago by reading that little Dread Central blurb. This movie was a lot of fun, campy as you can get. It's not scary, but. I had a blast watching it. It's better than a lot of these half-assed holiday films, <laughs> and I am adding this to my annual watch. I think. So I thank you guys for introducing this film to me. I'm gonna go large, a large. Tom, you know, I think I'm gonna come in at a a solid medium
1: popcorn. It was enjoyable. Um, it was as Anthony would usually call it, it was a it was a hot garbage B-rate off everything awful about B-rate movies in one. Wrapped up with a nice bow, but I still enjoyed it. It was a lot of fun.
2: Ron,
0: oh man, you know I got to go. Not just a large popcorn, but a large like cheddar cheese popcorn, like (laughs) because cheese is the appropriate word for this movie. It it is ridiculous. It is stupid as all get out, and it is a lot of dumbass fun. It's great, Uh, (laughs) and I'm glad that this. We can at least have one of you guys add it to your uh your post holiday tradition, and you know there's always a chance that you could one of these days when you you know when you're on like year eight of the podcast and and you're running out of stuff to talk about, maybe you can revisit this in you know 2028. 20, I don't think we're gonna wait that long because I feel like Julia
1: needs to see this. Um, she's gonna absolutely hate it. But I was
3: about to say, she's going to get a
1: small popcorn. Absolutely, I kind of like watching Julia Julia hate on it. I really hate on things. I really do. And uh, the more I think about it, uh, the movie, I think I'm going to change my rating. I'm going to go cop out here. I think I'm going to go with a large. I really do.
2: I, I'm going to make it four for four, too. This is total large popcorn, not because of the quality of the film. I think we made that very clear, but because of the experience of watching it and re-watching it. That's the fun thing about horror movies sometimes is you want to re-watch them and go, okay, can I figure it out before they tell me? This movie doesn't give you a chance to try to figure anything out. It's like, nope, it's this guy. So, and you just go with it, but it's so much fun to watch it all kind of fall together and the way that it's bound together by this really strange music and then huh. the band playing a song it doesn't really need to play in the middle of it. And then again, that that killer theme song and the bad actors and all the fun that this is. This is a perfect Get a bunch of people together because don't go out on New Year's Eve. That's amateur hour. Everybody does that. You get people at the house. You put this thing on and have fun. Or, you know, because it's 2020, you're probably having to do it over Zoom. But whatever. Everybody watch this together and have a good time. This is a total good time, large popcorn, greasy butter from the baseball game kind of popcorn. But it you regret it the next morning, much <laughs> like everything else on New Year's Eve. But this movie is totally worth it. <laughs> And it's a it's a great way to end 2020. I mean, we've had a heck of a year in 2020. We were you know, we came back in 2019. We were doing every other week. Then March of 2020, we said screw it and we started doing shows every week. We added two new cast members. Um and we, but we couldn't think of a better way to end the year than with our friends from Tiz the Podcast. So, Tom, Anthony, thanks again for coming on the show. Tell folks how they can follow Tiz the Podcast on social media and where they can find the show.
1: We make it super easy for you. You can go to tizthepodcast.com slash Reddit, Facebook, Facebook group, Twitter, or Instagram, and that will redirect you to all of our social medias. Plus, we have some bonus content for true fans that Anthony can tell you all about.
3: Yep, you can go to com slash Patreon, where for as little as a dollar per month, you can get bonus content not necessarily relating to Christmas. We just <laughs> started a new segment called Fireside Chats, which Ron here took part in, in an epic two-hour trolling fest of me. Uh, it's where we basically sit down with a listener and get to know them. And we have movie commentaries up there and everything, and it's a lot of fun. And Jay, Ron, I just want to thank you for having us on, for allowing us to experience this movie, which is now going into annual rotation for me, and I know Julia is upset she couldn't be here tonight as well. She um, It was her daughter's birthday, though,
2: and... You know? oh, we, we totally understand. We'll have her on again. We definitely have you guys back. Maybe we can finally get all three of you at once. But I mean, we're two for two with you guys on this show. I mean, Rare Exports was a you know, hidden gem last year, and now we, we've we introduced you to a classic for New Year's Eve. This Ewa. was a classic, I, yeah. I don't know, maybe not yeah. we'll for Thanksgiving. We'll do like Thanksgiving three or something. I don't know. I've got to start <laughs> backing around. Well, if you watched I, any of those, uh,
0: if you've watched any of those Into the Dark movies, the uh, the two Thanksgiving ones are really good. Yeah, I agree with that.
2: Yeah, yeah, those are really, really solid.
0: I do have a request
1: from y'all. If y'all ever get around to covering the movie Nowhere, the Greg Araki movie, do y'all know that one? 1997 Greg Araki movie. Hmm. If you put that on your list. uh, So we had this thing going for years with friends where we'd invite people over and, and it was always somebody's job to find the worst movie ever made. Hands down, no question asked, unanimously decided this movie is the worst film ever made. And the cast of it is just out of this world. You have like uh, Beverly D'Angelo, Heather Graham, Ryan Felipe, James Duvall. Uh, it's just unbelievable. So if you'll okay. ever check this movie out, please, please, please. I'm looking for a good place to talk about this with people. <laughs> and nobody's seen it. And it is one of the most beautiful gems from the 90s that is the most it should be a cult classic.
2: C- consider yourself invited for a show in early 2021. That sounds like it's right up our alley. So, though I will tell you, <laughs> and so can Ron that I've now introduced him to it, um, you need to see After Last Season and then we could talk about the worst movie ever possibly made. But
1: does After Last <laughs> Season have anybody killed by having their head crushed in by a, a can of uh, Campbell's tomato soup?
2: No, but it has somebody killed by an invisible ghost that moving a chair with a piece of fishing line and some Windows ninety five uh, computer graphics. What is this called? <laughs> after last season, you can listen to it in the archives of our I will website, check it out. and it's on after for free. So, guys, again, thanks for being on the show, thank and you. thank you everybody for a great twenty twenty. Listening to this episode, of course, you can find all of our archives on your podcast feed and on our website, filmstrippodcast.com. Please leave us a positive review. Follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at Filmstrippod and search for Filmstrip Podcast on Facebook to connect with us there. We appreciate it if you share the show, and we always appreciate your support. For our friends at Tis the Podcast, for Ron, for Jay, and for the rest of the Filmstrip crew, happy holidays, everybody, and we'll see you in 2021.
1: Thank you for listening to Filmstrip.